It's not just an idea. It's not just a philosophy. It's just just not something that historically occurred. Uh, yeah, occurred. It's accurate. It's not based on events that could be proven uh, archaeologically. Those things are true. But really what it is based on is power. Pure, unadulterated, raw power. The resurrection of Jesus is all about uh, the power that is in Christianity. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey you must go on. It's not something you can opt out of. You're either growing or shrinking in your faith on a daily basis, and we want to be part of your growth regiment. We want to help you grow a strong and full faith, but... We can't do it for you. We're not there to lift the weights for you. We're not there to do the work for you. We're here to come alongside you, to encourage you, to challenge you, to entertain you a little bit. But ultimately, the journey is yours and the one mm -hmm. that you have to do. But we want to be part of your growth plan. So my name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host. But we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the one, the only, the Salty Pastor <laughs> himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Good to be with you, everybody, today. It's just going to be a great day. We're starting a brand new uh, season in the life of the church. I'm always so very excited about it. Well, and in top of our new season, we're also doing our new series, which is called The Power and the Glory, <laughs> um, which is helping us sell celebrate one of the most important things in the Christian faith, which is the death yeah. and resurrection of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. which always sounds weird when you say you're celebrating Jesus' death, right? Like yes. it feels feels wrong, but it's resurrection. It, is, it is something because yes. he has to die to resurrect. It's yes. an important step. So yes. it's critical in our central focus of what mean what it means to be a Christian, right? In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul teaches that, um, uh, I quote, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. So if Jesus did not die and raised from the dead, our faith is pointless. Absolutely pointless. And recently I was blessed by going to Israel <laughs> and I yeah. was walking the streets of old Jerusalem, um, mm -hmm. commonly known as the city of David. Um, and then the Via della Rosa, I stood where Jesus stood. I saw what Jesus saw. Mm -hmm. Um, and most importantly, I, I really kind of, there's some moments where you're kind of at, you know, the garden tomb, they have the site for yeah. that or, or the church of the Holy Sepulchre. You can kind of, you feel it. Like you it, feel it the weight of the moment. Different. Yeah. And, yes. um, I, I mean, it's life-changing. It's given mm -hmm. me so much context and understanding. And so I'm excited to go into this Easter season with these new eyes that I've seen all of these things and being able to hopefully share some of the things that I've felt and mm -hmm. seen and help other people have context because context is key, as we've said multiple times. <laughs> yes, so context is here key. on The Salty Pastor, we want to take the next three weeks and focus mm -hmm. on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, Pastor, why do you think it is important <laughs> for us to take time each year to remember the central foundation of our faith? Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but I think whenever a person forgets who they are, they become a lost person. They struggle. You know, they, they don't know where they're going in life. Uh, if you're a family or you're part of a small group of people, a community, you know, if you forget who you are and your point and purpose, then you fall apart. When a mm. nation loses its national identity, what is what are some of the things that, that bond us together? What's the one thing that pulls them together? It falls. You know, this is the meaning of the words of Jesus that we brought up a few weeks ago, and that is a house divided against itself 
uh, will fall. A kingdom divided against itself against itself will not stand. Mm. So the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of our faith. It is what reminds us of who we are and why we are here. We must always remember, always celebrate, never forget that faith in Jesus Christ and him alone is not just some intellectual exercise. It's not, it's not just a philosophy or a teaching. Mm. It's actually a demonstration of power, the greatest demonstration of power in the history of humanity. So as I look at the world around me, one of the things that I'm really becoming more concerned about is all of the hopelessness that I see out there. Everybody mm. is so hopeless in, in the lives of people seem to be less satisfying, less joyful, less uh, abundant. And it's like the more affluent we become as a society, the more hopeless we become. Human beings are not meant to live without hope. Okay. Uh, I'll go far as to say is you can't live, you can't survive, you can't exist without hope in your life. And, and then the times when we become the most hopeless in our lives is when we feel the most powerless right? Uh, when, when all of our options are taken away or we feel stuck. So, uh, no matter what we do, things don't change. No matter how hard we try, it just doesn't get better. This sense of, of powerlessness brings hopelessness. Mm. So this is the point of focusing on the resurrection. Okay. Uh, is what it does is that our, our hope is in the power of Jesus Christ right? And him alone. It's not just an idea. It's not just a philosophy. It's just, just not something that historically occurred. Uh, yeah. Occurred. It's accurate. It's not based on events that could be proven, uh, archeologically. Those things are true, but really what it is based on is power, pure, unadulterated, raw power. The resurrection of Jesus is all about uh, the power that is in Christianity. I mean, this is, I think a really important connection to make because there's plenty of historical events that I've read about in school that don't provide any hope or joy in my <laughs> yeah. life, right? Like yeah. I can think about all kinds of things that I've, I mean, the problem is I can't even think of things that I learned <laughs> historically <laughs> that have made really that big of an impact, right? Like we, yes. we get a little, like the closest thing we see as far as power that then springs forth from hope that is rooted in, in history of things that have occurred is maybe you know, we celebrate Independence Day, and that was kind of a demonstration mm -hmm. of power of America going, mm -hmm. no longer will we live under the oppressive rule of Britain. We're going right. to assert our authority. We are breaking the bonds between us, right? Yes, the like independence. That's the closest yeah. that mm -hmm. somebody who doesn't have faith in Jesus is maybe going to get to, like, hope of, like, well, you know, America did a really good job coming, pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. Right. Maybe I could do something like that as well. Mm -hmm. but. This is way bigger, way better, way, bigger. way more important. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's such a demonstration of power that sometimes I think we forget that it's not just that he came back from the dead because Lazarus came back from the dead, right? We right. see aspects of that. When he came back, he broke the chains that hold us, right? Like right. Mm -hmm. he fundamentally changed how the world functions. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important to understand is that, is that it was a, it was a specific change in reality. It's called a metaphysical truth. And that is hope in and of itself has no power in your life. Today, many people believe and teach that it is in the hoping that you gain strength. It is in the believing that you gain power. What you hope in or what you believe in is irrelevant. It's just so long as you're passionate about it, so long as you're a zealot for it, so long as you're all in. This creates a positive energy in the universe uh, that kind of rolls in your direction, right? Mm. And so uh, this is completely and unequivocally false. The strength of hope, the power of belief, always flows from the object of your hope, the focus of your belief. Just think for a moment of 12 disciples. Here were 12 men that were uneducated. None of them had had, uh, money. None of them had power. None of them had government influence. None of them were political leaders or anything. But yet they took the message of Christ that has totally upended the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you know, can't deny that. Even yeah. if you don't believe yeah. in Jesus. Yeah, there's you, a there's a historian out of Harvard, Pazlov or Pazlikan. I, I can never pronounce his name right. But he says, whether you believe in religion or not, or faith or God or not, doesn't matter. It's undeniable that Jesus Christ is the most influential figure in the history of the world. Absolutely. There's just no doubt about it. His influence and what has happened uh, through his life is just remarkable. And I think in one in particular, like Peter, okay. Uh, originally his name was Simon, right? Mm-hmm. Simon, uh, was a hotheaded opinionated. Some people say he was kind of a rash man. Uh, he was the first to profess in Jesus, but he was also the first to really deny, yeah. right? He was the, he was the first to, uh, try something. Hey, he jumped out of the boat and walked on water. Uh, but he was also the first to fail. Like, you know, he told Jesus, you know, you're not going to die. You're not going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. And Jesus rebuked him. You know, he was the first, uh, uh, person to, uh, uh, you know, pray and be all in and argue, but he was also the first to say the the dumbest things that are kind of recorded in the Gospels. He's he's all in on being first in any experience. Yeah, he's passionate. (laughs) He was a zealot. He was Simon. But what's interesting is Simon became Peter, and the name Peter in Greek is Petra, which means rock, and he became the rock of the church. You know, he stood up on the day of Pentecost and he preached the first message to his Jewish brothers and sisters. And so he, he was the one who traveled out and saw the vision to, uh, of Cornelius and went to his house and led him to Christ. And he was the one who said the, the, the message of salvation is for the Gentile as well as the Jew. Right. Um, we so, got to go to the place where they think that happened. Yeah. So it all, the, the door, he opened the door, yeah. you know, and he could have been the one that slammed the door shut, but he didn't. He said, well, the Holy Spirit's fallen on this household. I cannot deny what I see with my own eyes, Mm. you know? And so, um, you know, Peter went from rash and zealot to rock, you know, he, and what, what, how did he go from that? How did he change that much? Well, he had a belief, he had a hope and he even had execution, right? I mean, think of it at the end, you know, when in the garden of Gethsemane and, and his high priest and his servants come, he's ready to go. He pulls the sword out and he strikes the servant of the high priest, you know, so he was ready to execute his plan. So it's not that he just didn't have belief and hope, but he was willing to act 
on it. But guess what? What changed him from Simon into Peter was not his hope, was not his passion, was not his belief, not even his willingness to execute his plan. It was the power of the resurrection. When he saw and witnessed the resurrection, his life was forever changed. It's all about power. So talk to me about why power is so important. I mean, we use that phrase, I mean, power dynamics. We talk about who's mm -hmm. in power as far as politically. We're, we we use power, especially in English, we use it to kind of cover a lot of things. I mean, it's even electricity right. sometimes, right? Like yeah. <laughs> we, we did a whole uh, video last year for Easter about power. about power, but we were talking about Tesla's and electrical power yeah. and like energy, right? And so it's like, it has so many different uses and we kind of just throw it in in a lot of places. So talk to me about why it's so important in the way that you're speaking about. Well, I'm, I'm really concerned about the despair and lack of direction of people in our society today. It pains me to see so many marriages that are just falling apart mm. uh, because men and women, husbands and wives can't figure out how to stay in love. It's like falling in love is easy. Staying in love is a challenge and it doesn't seem like there's any real power that helps them do that anymore. It's certainly not societal power. It's certainly not going to be the power to charge your Tesla that's going to do it. I mean, people who have Teslas are divorcing at the same rate as people who drive, you know, Ford Pintos. Right. <laughs> right. Or F-350s. <laughs> yeah. It, that, that, you know, the material aspects doesn't seem to make much of a difference. It pains me to see how what our society is doing right now in the way it is luring children, sexualizing children, trafficking children. Uh, all in the name of, uh, of sexual tolerance and sexual equity. It's just unbelievable to me what they're doing to children. It's discouraging to me to see how um, our society has destroyed men by denigrating masculinity um, and how society has made women so unhappy and filled with loneliness and despair by lying to them with a lie that comes from third wave feminism, telling them that, look, Working in corporate America and paying taxes is what's going to bring you fulfillment in life. Well, that's just ridiculous. It's gotten so weird to me now uh, that it's almost like the AI, you know, in the movie Matrix, you know, the machine AI guy, you know, it's like the government and the media and the education system work hand in hand to produce drones that that you know go out and work and pay taxes so they can build some type of uh elitist utopia mm. i know i sound crazy now but <laughs> uh, i i think this is really part of the deception out there you know as as if you exist as a human being to do nothing else but work and pay taxes so that politicians can redistribute what you've done so they look like they're doing something compassionate, you know? I mean, this is what, the, in Matrix, the first movie, the AI did is it turned human beings into batteries, right? Mm. And then they, they deceived people by creating an illusion in their mind of something else. And, and then we sit back. Does it really take a rocket scientist to sit back and look at all of this despair and all of this deception, all of this despondency, all of this hurt, all of this pain, all of this psychological uh, and emotional pain in people's life and say, oh, this is a good thing. And, and I'm concerned about that because they are living for something that has no power. 
They're, they're, they're being convinced to pursue something that has no power. It has no power to make you happy, has no power to make you fulfilled. It has no power to transform you. It has no power to, when you face a, a crisis in your life or a suffering or difficulty, to persevere and overcome it. All of these things that the world is doing is trying to turn you into a drone so you become a sheep or a cog in their machine to build some idiotic utopia that never exists and and to be no one reads books anymore right we don't read the great classics like orwell's animal farm or his book 1984 or even even atheists you know bertrand uh uh, uh not bertrand russell aldous huxley wrote brave new world where you read brave new world and it, it's like he's almost describing today mm. you know it's it's just crazy and his point was is that what i'm describing is a dystopia it's terrible it's horrible and yet nobody sits back and says, hello, McFly, is anybody in there? And I'm concerned about that. And I'm concerned about the deception of that's given to people that lacks any real power in their life to bring anything that their soul actually thirsts for. Well, that was a very different direction than I thought you were going with today's <laughs> podcast, Pastor. I mean, that was pretty intense. Um, I guess... So if, the, if you're seeing such a lack of power in what the world is offering people and what it's leading to, how do we know that Jesus had this power that you, that is transformative and leads to fulfillment? How do we know that believing in him and hoping in him changed Simon to Peter? You said that, that, that power was the thing that changed Simon to Peter. Um, how do we know that? What's Where do we see this? Well, I, I think when you read the Gospels, and this is why we celebrate the resurrection, because it need, we need to be reminded that the God we serve is a God of power, mm -hmm. right? Um, it, it's often what I see is I see two basic things is you, you see a group of people, and this tends to be, you know, theologians and churches on one side that are really, they love the sovereignty of God and the judgment of God and the, you know, uh, the separating of the sheep from the goats, God. And then you have another group of people on the other side that love the tenderness of Jesus, the tenderness of God the and the joy, the joy and the love and the redemption. And what people realize is that Jesus was both. And, and you're not getting a complete picture of Jesus when you eliminate one or the other. And why was Jesus both? Is because he was power. He was pure and unadulterated power. You know, you look at all these different stories. One story that I think is really significant is in Mark chapter four, and I'm going to, I'm going to preach on this on Sunday. And what it does is it really focuses us. It's only 150 words long, but it demonstrates the power of Jesus in three ways. I was listening to Tim Keller talk about this passage and, and he just, he, he said, you know, what's really interesting is there are three ways in which the power of Jesus is revealed just in this short, very short story of 150 words. He goes, it reveals uh, the reality of his power, the magnitude of his power and the divinity of his power. So mm. let me read it real quick and show you how these things are manifested just in this little tiny short story. It says verse 35 of Mark chapter four. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. So they are on the Sea of Galilee, and they're like, and you've seen it. I've, I've seen it. I've seen the Sea of Galilee. But what is it? The Lake of Gennesaret is what? 
It's a big lake. It's a big lake. It's not. Yeah. It's. I Can mean, you stand there on one side and see the other side of yes, the lake? It is not as in in your Bible story visions. It is not as large as you think. Yeah, it is. But if you noticed in in the um, when you look at it, is what you don't realize is it's surrounded by mountains, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's like in a valley. It's very much in a kind of a notch. Yeah, and at the at the north of it. What do you see is is the mountains are more like hills. They're more like foothills, right? right. It's like a high plain coming down. Mm-hmm. And then where it, the water goes out of the Sea of Galilee, turns into the Jordan River, correct? Yes. Flows all the way down to the Dead Sea. And at when you look south and where the Jordan River starts there, the exit for the Sea of Galilee, you have these really big mountains, right, with a cleft. Yep. You know, there's this cleft in it, and it just—it's like a very narrow, uh, you know, canyon that's cut into it. Right. You know, and that's where it's getting fed the the water from. Yeah, the water kind of comes into the and starts there. That's the headwaters of the Jordan. Is at the southernmost tip of the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. So why is that significant? Well, let me tell you why. That evening came. He says to his disciples, "Let's go to the other side." So leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was not merely swamped. Okay. In other words, the boat wasn't just swamped. It was sinking. Jesus was in the stern, which is the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, these are seasoned fishermen. These, they've been on, out on boats on this lake thousands of times yeah, before. Uh, I mean, at least four of them, right? Like yeah. it's Peter, Andrew, James, James John, and John. Al- Andrew. Yep. And so Jesus then gets up and he rebukes the wind and he said to the waves, quiet. Be still. The wind died down, and then it, the water was completely calm. And the imagery here is like glass. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And so the first thing is, is that this demonstrates the reality of the power of Jesus. And that is, is this is something that actually happened. And when you read ancient literature and you study it, it's, it's called hermeneutics, the study of languages and literature. And back there is during this period of time in Rome is mythology fiction was huge. You know, stories of Apollos and Hercules and all of these other gods and all these different stories, you know, Hyperion. I mean, this just goes on and on and on about all these different gods and stories. And the thing that's really interesting about it is that this little story only has 150 words, but it is filled with unnecessary details. Mm-hmm. Things are completely unnecessary to the point of the story. Right. Like, like journalesque yeah. rather than like adding exactly. in stuff that would be for. Yeah, like unquote. for instance, he says, uh, they took him along just as he was. In other words, he didn't change his clothes before he got in the boat. Right. What, what does that have to do with the story? No. Nothing. It says there were also other boats with him. What does that have to do with the story? 
Well, nothing. It doesn't really matter. You know, they, they don't even mention them again, right? Like yeah. it doesn't even say, oh, then the other boats went under or right, whatever. Exactly. Like, or they were yelling at him across the storm, help save us too. There was none of that. Right. Uh, uh, okay. He was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Now, uh, that's an irrelevancy to uh, myth- mythological they fiction. They could have just said he was napping. <laughs> yeah, they could have said that uh, anything. But on a cushion? Well, back then, everybody knew, if you weren't a fisherman or and you were in a boat and you weren't working the boat, uh, at the coxswain, meaning at the back, there was a bench. And if you were a passenger, they had a little cushion that you could sit on. You know. And so what? why is this? Well, what scholars say is that this is this reflects that Mark is recording somebody who is remembering it. Because mm. when you remember a story and you tell it to your friends, you fill it with all these unnecessary details. Right. Right. And so what's really interesting is when I teach people to preach, I teach them how to tell a good story. And the first thing you teach them is you have to eliminate all the unnecessary details. <laughs> but our, our habit is in conversation. We fill all this stuff in. Like, you know, what difference does it make? You know, like you never hear, you know, that Hercules changed his tunic or what sandals he was wearing. Right. It's irrelevant. Mm. It doesn't, it didn't matter if there were other people around. The story was all about Hercules and his his achievement. That's called mythological fiction. And so this is all scholars say is that that's why we know that this is actually something that happened. I mean, if you get into it even um, more uh, kind of at a a granular level, is that uh, during the end of the first century and the second century, there were tons of enemies or critics of Jesus Christ, people who wrote against him and his claims that he was the Messiah. There were Talmudic uh, rabbis. There were Roman historians. uh, There was a philosopher by the name of, I think it's Cassius, if I pronounce it right. And what's interesting is all of these critics of Jesus all denied the claim that he said he was the Messiah. They said, no, he's not. He's not the Messiah. But you know what? all of his critics never did they never denied his miracles as a matter of fact they tried to explain his miracles by saying oh he learned them in egypt you know when he was in egypt before he came up and it was dark magic and the reason just just catch that why would you if you're writing against jesus why would you admit that they occurred exactly that's the easiest way to tear him down and that's the one thing that they don't do because none of these things ever happened Because there were all these people that were eyewitnesses and some of them were still alive. And what would they say? I was there. I saw it. You know, the last thing I would do if I were Mark, you know, is 30, 40 years after this event happened is sit down and write and say, hey, this happened. I I could go back and say, do you know, in Boise, Idaho, in 1992, this thing happened? You know, well, guess what? I better be pretty accurate because there's a lot of people in Boise, Idaho in 1992 who are downtown. That would that would know. (laughs) They would know. They'd say, yeah, that never happened. That's a lie. And so so that that, the, the reality of the power of Jesus is so important here because you don't believe in something that's a myth. It's not a legend. It's not a story. It is a actual factual thing that happened. So you know that what happened in the past can happen again in your life. And that gives hope and believe power. So we know that what we believe in has the power to change us because it's rooted in reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, even you talked about that cleft, that cleft is they've, we learned this while we were on the sea of Galilee. That's the reason those squalls can kick up so fast, right? Yeah. Cause you think, Oh, there's, 
how did they just happen to get caught by why were they sailing they should have known a storm was coming and our guide was talking about he's like he's had to cancel boat rides on the sea of galilee because that cleft the way that the air pressure and things move it will literally just whip up a storm in like in the blink of an eye blink of an eye so it's like mm-hmm. even that is rooted in reality of like oh there just happened to be a storm that he start you know he stopped it's like no like the storms just show up on the sea of galilee it's uniquely created like the way it's living in those mountains yeah. it can do that it like it do just it. shows up yeah and so we know for a fact that that's rooted in reality um in the time we have left what other things you'd said you had two other points that tim keller had kind of mentioned about the power of this story well i think what you see is the storm is a perfect example of the magnitude of his power this storm came up quick these experienced fishermen and boat guys or what they're afraid they say they say that they're afraid that they're going to drown and what's really interesting is how jesus responds is jesus basically says two things um he says well in in the new american standard i like the way they they translate it and and then other translations like in the new king King james it says he set up and said peace but that doesn't what he really said basically was shut up (laughs) he just said shut up and stay shut up and he rebukes two things. He rebukes the wind. And since um, I'm a sailor, you know, I'm certified as a captain up to boats 50 feet in length, is that what you realize is that first you have wind, right? And that creates all these turmoil and all this kind of stuff. But once the wind stops, the ocean and the sea, the water still keeps churning because there's all this kinetic energy pushing this stuff right. around. And it says in the blink of an eye, the wind stopped. And then the water was like glass. Mm. So that freaked him out. Okay. That really freaked him out. And what's really interesting here too is this is, uh, is that there was no fasting. There was no prayer. There was no conjuring. There was no lifting his eyes to heaven and asking God to have the power of this flow through him. He He sat up and said, shut up. (laughs) He woke up from his nap, not in a great mood, and just laid down the law, right? He said, shut up. And and this is what's so important is is that what the God you believe in has no sparring partner. The God that you follow has no equal. Mm. And and what's really interesting to me is this. The disciples were afraid of drowning when they woke him up. But if you read the last thing, it says this. They were terrified of Jesus. So they were afraid of the storm, but they were terrified of him. Mm. You see, and, and so the God that you believe in, your belief, your hope, is not in a God that lacks power, but has all the power in the manifestation of power as if, I mean, this stopping this was something in the pinky of his finger. It it wasn't anything that was no effort, no conjuring, no mad, no nothing. It was just pure unadulterated power, which leads to the last thing. And that is, is that it shows the divinity of his power, you know, Mm -hmm. and that is, I call it the glory of God. They saw the glory of God. Like these disciples uh, were afraid of the storm, but terrified of Jesus. And what Mark is showing is that when you read through the Old Testament and other places, particularly the Old Testament, is storms had not just a real impact on people, but they were always used in very 
spiritual metaphorical senses. And the reason why is because what's the one time as a human being you feel absolutely helpless and out of control is when you're in the hand of the fury of nature, mm-hmm. right? And even there's today- There's no off switch. There's no control. It's yeah, just- Yeah, you are completely out of control. And and the, the fury of a hurricane or the fury of these things that people say, it was just like tornadoes and all of these things, earthquakes people talk about, is just so unnerving because- and yet this man has power over that in the blink of an eye. And notice, and notice why this is important. What did the disciples say to Jesus when the storm was happening? Something along the lines of, don't you care if we drown? Or, exactly. or like, why don't you care? Like, do you not care about us? Like, why are Yeah. Because, and isn't that the whole thing, the question we ask God every single time when we're suffering a storm in life? We always say, well, God, if you cared, this wouldn't be happening. Mm. Or this wouldn't be happening if you cared. And, and so what, what is happening is he says, we're, what we're doing is we're saying, well, I chose the powerful side, right? And I, I chose the powerful side so that bad things won't happen in my life. And Jesus' response to the disciples was this, your faith is in the wrong place. Because not only do I calm the storm, have power over the storm, Jesus is saying, I am the storm. And so the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And, and so the thing is, is that if my faith isn't in having fewer storms in my life, my faith is in the power in the God of the storm. And he is doing something in me that is far more important than I will. Uh, and because and Jesus ends the whole thing up when, you know, he wraps this story up by simply saying, you know, it's about your faith. He goes, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And you have to, when, when you, the, when the, the God who raised from the dead, exhibits that level of power later on these disciples that were afraid of a storm stood before caesar in rome and said you'll never convince me i didn't see what i saw Mm. that was jesus raised from the dead and they died because of it well pastor i am so excited to continue talking about the power and the glory and and celebrating the resurrection with you in these next few weeks and i hope you guys are excited to see why this is still applicable today i mean it's sometimes easy even though we celebrate it every year to forget that this is the crux of our entire faith of the entire reason we believe is around this event you know christmas gets yep. a lot of excitement and pump up and celebration and it's good he had to come in order to die it's but, super fun but he did this is the point. This is the point. And so I think it's always good for us to really dive into it and not just give it the cursory. Yeah, we love Easter vibe, but why? Why does it matter? So I'm excited to be spending time with you refreshing why it's so important and the power that he has. So thank you guys so much for joining us. And we'll see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Happy Resurrection Celebration.